Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. So it is spring break week, and um, I'm very excited about that as a dad um, because it means I don't have to take my daughter to school in the mornings and do drop-off right now. And I know you're thinking, you're like, man, spring break is a time where it's like, oh, man, the kids are back in the house. But the drive to my daughter's school is is. I hate it, right? It is, uh, it's, uh, it's tough. So we live right now, we live in, uh, in West Conway uh, over by the, uh, I don't know, the Salem area. So it's a, it's a quick shot up here, but we are looking, we would love to move to Greenbrier. We just need, we just need a good deal and some land. So anybody, uh, amen. And so um, we, would love, we would love that. But right now we live in West Conway and um, we live right by uh, Julia Lee Moore Elementary. That's where our kids have gone to elementary. My son is still a first grader there, but my daughter is a fifth grader, and in fifth grade, they moved to a new school, and then it's, it's in a brand new county, <laughs> even a new state is what it feels like, and so we drive from West Conway all the way across to Simon Middle School, which is across I-40, and, um, and, and so the, the way to get there is it's impossible. There's like four or five different routes that you can take, and none of them are good. All of them have obstacles. A couple of them have a train that Conway decides, let's have a train go through right, right through Conway at 7.30 every morning uh, is what it seems like. And so we try and avoid that. We've tr- like I'm saying, we, we've tried a different route, I think, uh, most of the school year. Every morning we just go a different different way. It's just like, what's the best way? How do we find the best way to this school? And I don't think that one exists. You just got to spend 20 minutes every morning going to school, right? And so maybe uh, that'll kind of set our our minds kind of in the direction we're headed this morning. And maybe you've kind of felt like that in in life, like which way is the best way? (laughs) You know, like how do I get where I'm going? Which way is right? Is there a better way? Maybe you felt that. Maybe you've thought that whenever it comes to religion or spirituality. Like, there's so many options, and all of them are different. How do you know which one's right? Which, which way is, is the right way? And maybe those questions have kind of caused you some anxiety or confusion. Maybe you're facing some things in life that are just tough and difficult, and you're sitting there going, man, I, I don't know which way is the right way to go with this thing, you know? In our text this morning that we're going to see, very famous passage of Scripture, um, we're actually going to hear one of Jesus' disciples say, how in the world can we know the way, right? That's what we're going to see. Before we look at that, I'd love for us just to pray and kind of make sure our hearts are, are centered in the right direction. And so I'm going to pray for all of us. And why don't you take just a second right where you are just to pray for yourself and maybe those around you that God would speak to them in this moment. Let's pray together. God, we do just want to come to you and ask that you would do just that, that you would speak, that we would hear you and nothing that I would have to say, but everything that you would have to say. Spirit, I pray that you would speak to us through the word, that you would show us Jesus, that we would leave here changed and different than we came in this morning, all because of the truth of your word and the implications that it has for our everyday lives. Would you help us to see that? Would you help us to listen? We love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so we are going to look at a very famous passage of Scripture that you've heard, John 14, 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Have you heard that? 
It's one of the more famous passages in, in the book of John, and we're going to look at it, but to kind of set the context for where that statement comes from, you got to know what happens in chapter 13. And so if you remember in chapter 12 last week, Jesus said, he said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And we said that that means that Jesus was saying that it's, it's time for him to come and do what he came to do, um, which was go to the cross. So is the time had come for Jesus to be in the spotlight. That's what we said. Chapter 13 opens, and verse 1 says it was before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. Uh, so this is what we would call the, the Last Supper, right? This is what's happening here. You've probably seen the picture of the Last Supper where they all sat on the same side of the table and took the photo. You know what I'm talking about? You've seen that? That's what's happening here. They're at the Last Supper, and, uh, and it's kind of Jesus' final moments with his followers, with his, with his friends, and at that supper, he does something kind of strange. He says that he stands up, he wraps a towel around his waist, he fills a bowl full of water, and he goes and he starts washing all of his disciples' feet. It's just a picture of servant leadership and love and just humbling himself. But as, as chapter 13 goes on in that setting of, of dinner, of this last supper, this moment with his friends, Jesus, around verse 21 through 30-ish, there's a moment where Jesus says, one of you who's been with me every day for the last three years, you're gonna betray me. And he's talking about Judas, and, um, and in, chapter, in verse 30, Judas gets up to leave. And that's what he goes to do. He, he's gonna sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, and Jesus is gonna be captured, put on trial, and crucified in just a matter of hours from this moment. And then, kind of leading into this text of talking about the way um, in verse, uh, verse 33-ish, Jesus drops a bomb on his disciples. Right after Judas gets up to leave, Jesus says, hey, I'm gonna be leaving you soon. I'm gonna leave you soon, and where I'm going, you can't come. And so they're confused. They're anxious. They're, they're, they're wondering, like, what does that mean for them? You know, like Judas has just left, and, and now Jesus is saying he's gotta leave too, and we can't come where he's going, and there's this whole moment with Peter where Peter's like, why can't we come with you? I wanna go with you. I'll die with you. I've been with you every day. I will die with you. And Jesus actually says to one of his best friends, you're gonna deny me too, you know? And so it's just a chaotic, confusing, anxious scene, and that kind of sets the stage. They're wondering, where is Jesus going, and why can't we come with him. Now, look at our text, John chapter 14, look at verse 1. Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I'm going. I think Thomas's response is kind of funny. Verse five, Lord, Thomas says, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Thomas is like, you're always talking in riddles. We don't ever know what you're talking about. How can we possibly know what you're talking about? How can we know the way? And Jesus says, famous verse, verse six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
So he tells us very clearly, like in this scene of chaos, confusion, he tells us, verse one, uh, the goal is, hey, don't be afraid. He's trying to comfort his friends who are hearing that he has this purpose that he has to leave them, right? And he says, don't be afraid. And the way that he's gonna comfort them is he's gonna tell them that he is the way, the way, right? And uh, that means a couple of things. I, I think it means a couple of things. Number one, it means that he's saying he is the way to heaven. He's trying to comfort them. He's saying that he is the way to heaven. Verses two and three. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. This text is rightly understood as Jesus talking about an eternity with him, right? Forever with him. That's how we would probably uh, best understand what he is saying here, and that is right. But there's some details that we do misunderstand. So I grew up in church. I don't know about you, but I grew up in church. My grandpa was a, a Southern Baptist pastor for 40 years. I think I was in the nursery day one of my life, you know? And so I've just been in church my whole life, and the church that I grew up in was a pretty traditional Southern Baptist church. And uh, that's how I grew up, and we grew up singing hymns, and I love hymns. I've got nothing against hymns. I honestly don't care what we sing um, at all. And, and so we grew up singing hymns, but I remember as a kid being confused by some of the stuff that was in those hymns. You know what I'm talking about? Like, um, I remember there's a song called When the Roll is Called Up Yonder, you know, <laughs> which yonder is a funny word anyway, but to put it in a song. Um, but the roll is called up yonder. I, I, yonder, yonder, yonder. I don't know how you say it. Um, but I remember as a kid, like being confused, like why, why are we singing about bread, <laughs> you know? Like the roll is called up yonder. And then there's the song, I'll Fly Away. It's a great song, but I just remember as a kid, just not knowing what that was talking about, but I was just excited that we we're gonna be flying, you know? And then there's a song um, that has the, the phrase, here I raise mine Ebenezer. And I didn't know what that meant. I thought maybe we were gonna be picking up somebody's grandpa or something, you know? And so I think there's a lot of things that we just kind of come with maybe some misunderstandings or some, some preconceived ideas, some presuppositions um, whenever it comes to things like this. And maybe one that you have around this text is the idea that Jesus is going to prepare for us a mansion. Have you heard that? Anybody? Okay. So it's a popular um, thing, and it comes from this passage um, because the King James and the New King James translate this verse to say, in my father's house are many mansions. I'm going to prepare you a mansion, basically, is what it would say. And I remember growing up thinking that and just thinking that right now in heaven, Jesus is just like hammering away with hammer and nails, just building mansions until he gets the last one done, and then he's going to come get us, Right? that somehow the one who spoke everything into existence is now working in heaven to like finish all the details. You know, that's what I kind of thought, that right now he's just kind of working away. And, and whenever he finishes that last nail, well, then he's gonna come back and he's gonna get us. And it's gonna be like a big reveal day on HDTV and like we're all gonna get our mansion. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know about you, but I used to picture what would be in my mansion. Used to hope it would have like a full-size basketball court like a big old swimming pool, maybe a huge garage that's just full of just lifted Jeep Wranglers. 
that I could drive down the streets of gold. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I, that's what I wanted. Um, but that is such an American view <laughs> of, of, of such an American way of thinking about it, isn't it? That somehow getting to heaven is all about just the fancy stuff, you know? My own personal mansion. It's <laughs> such a westernized, selfish way of thinking about things. Unfortunately, I've got some bad news because Jesus doesn't use the word mansions there. He just, he doesn't. So the King James and the New King James have, have translated uh, the word mansions, but it's misleading. It, it leads us to thinking of dreaming of living in luxury as if that's, as if that's the goal. So the Greek word that's actually there um, is the Greek word monet. And uh, it's what the CSB translates as rooms. You could, it, it comes from kind of the root word of abide, or which would mean abode. Um, and, and so what it really means is a dwelling place. It's a dwelling place. Uh, the root word is similar in the Greek to what mansions would be. That's the reason it's translated that way in those other translations. But it really just means, Monet means a dwelling place. And so in the context of the situation, they're scared, they're confused, they're anxious. Jesus just said he's leaving, right? Jesus says, I'm going to go prepare a place for us to dwell together, for us to dwell together forever, meaning there's gonna be no more separation, no more separation at all. So these guys are worried about Jesus leaving. Imagine if he tells them, it's okay, I'm leaving you to just deal with all this, but I'm gonna go build you a mansion. <laughs> It's not very helpful at all, is it? Just like whatever it is that you're facing today or, or whatever, if you're just having this goal of just one day getting to a mansion and streets of gold, that's not very helpful at all to the things that you're going, you're going through. But heaven is not about just luxurious living. It's about living with God. That's the point that he's making here. We need to forget this westernized idea that we have of living in luxury and in gold. The comfort in this passage comes from one day being face to face with the God of all creation and the new heaven and the new earth, a place where there's no more sin, no more pain, no more tears. Those things don't exist anymore. That's where the comfort comes from. That's where we're headed. And that's what he said he had to leave to build, a place where we could dwell in his presence forever. And so he says in verse two, he says, I go to prepare a place for you in my father's house. In other words, what he's saying is I have to go away for a short time in order to build this permanent dwelling for us. In order that we don't ever have to be separated again, I have to leave for a short time to build that. And again, he's not talking about some ongoing heavenly construction project that he's working on right now, right? He was talking about the next 72 hours. That's, that's what he's talking about, having to leave to go build. He was saying that he was about to prepare the way to the Father through his death and his resurrection. See, that's the, that's the good news of the gospel that we celebrate every single Sunday is that our sin separates us from God. And so Jesus had to come to, to rebuild the road. He had to come to rebuild the way to the Father. And he did that by living a perfect life that you and I couldn't live, dying a death that we should have died, rose from the dead three days later, offering us life. And when he did that, the work was finished. He had prepared the way. In fact, the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews 10, 12, says that when he finished that work, he sat down at the right hand of the Father because the work was finished. He's not up there just hammering away, waiting for the last thing to be built, working to finish heaven. 
It's finished. Through his death, through his resurrection, he prepared the way to dwell together forever. And so the promise here that he's making, saying, I am the way to heaven, the promise that he's making is in verse three, says, if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. The thing to know about the promise of heaven that he is making here is kind of threefold in that, in that verse. He's saying that he is preparing the way to the Father through his death and his resurrection. He's done it. And then the other promises are that he is going to come again. And the other promise, the last promise is that those who believe will be united with him forever. That's what he's saying. That he goes to prepare this place through his death and his resurrection. He is gonna come again. And that you and I, those who believe in him, we're gonna be with him. That's what we can know about heaven from these verses. All right? So, that's true, that's amazing. Like, one day, we're, we're gonna be with him. That promise is coming, and it's amazing, and it's glorious, but this passage is also helpful because it's on the ground <laughs> where we are currently, you know? Because he said, I'm leaving you, and there was some real anxiety that they had about him going away. What does that mean for me now, you know? And so this passage meets us on the ground. It brings comfort to our day because we face all kinds of things that are difficult and tough. So he is saying he is the way to heaven, but he's also saying, number two, he's the way for today. He's the way for today, verse six. The famous one, right? Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. With the time that we have left, I want us to break down this verse. And so... Those three phrases, the way, the truth, and the life, we could just do a three-point sermon on each one of those. What does it mean that Jesus is the way? What does it mean that he's the truth and that the way? The problem is, the way that this is written, the emphasis in the verse is on the way, okay? The emphasis is on the way. Uh, the truth and the life are subordinate to the way. Does that make sense? So they are uh, enhancing, they are defining the way. So it could be said this way, that he is, he is the true way that leads to life. Does that make sense? And so if we're talking about this, you might be wondering and going, well, how does that inform my today? <laughs> how does that bring comfort to the things that I'm facing today? And I think that we can talk, we could talk at length, more time than we have this morning to talk about how that applies to our today, right? He's saying he is the true way. He is the true way. He's saying he is the truth. He is the standard of truth. Let's just talk about truth for a second because that is something that is on the attack in our world right now. Truth, by definition, means that something is factual, it's reliable, and it's certain, right? And so in the context of this passage, Jesus is saying absolute certainty is found in him in his way, in his answers, in his teaching, in his life, in his style, in everything about him, he is the standard, okay? He's the standard of truth. Our world, our culture today, doesn't hold to that, does it? Our world today tells us that truth is not absolute, but truth is actually relative, which is odd because relative truth is a contradiction of terms. That doesn't even make sense, <laughs> you know? 
Relative truth. If something is relatively true, it means this. It means that something can be true for one person and not for another. Again, contradiction of terms. That doesn't make sense. If something is true, it is always true, right? No matter time, no matter person, something is, is true. But in our world that we live in today, we'll hear people say things like, I'm just living my truth. You heard that? It's like, what in the world does that mean? <laughs> what, does that, what does that mean? You can't call that truth. Now, you can say, I'm just living the way that I want to, and I don't really care about truth. You can say that. But you can't say that my personal opinions and my personal preferences are now truth. It goes against the very definition of what the word actually means. And so to go beyond that, culture is not just saying that truth is relative and can be defined by person to person. Culture today is also saying that every opinion or truth should be equally respected. And if you don't accept their truth, then you're labeled as intolerant, small-minded, and unloving, aren't you? That's the world that we're living in. And so as I'm talking about this, I'm sure some things are coming to your mind as, as far as cultural issues of our day, like just think about the issues of gender and sexuality. Like we're told that those issues are fluid, that they're relative depending on the person, that you can be whatever you decide you wanna be, you know? And it's like Genesis 127 says that God created people male and female. That's all, that's all I know. But today we're told that you can be anything, right? All truth should be respected. And culture goes one step further now to say, and if you don't accept that truth, you're the problem, doesn't it? Like you're, like you're the one that's, that's wrong there. And so what we're seeing is we're seeing not only the world bow down to that, but we're seeing Christians bow down to that. We're seeing pastors begin to bend and break and allow culture to influence what we call truth. And it's a thinking of Christians or pastors just going, man, geez, like, I don't know, it, just, it, just, it seems kind of small-minded or archaic to really believe this kind of thing. Who am I to say what's, what's right or wrong? And what's happening is we are just bending to culture and allowing all of these things, all of these changing views to sway us from, from the true way, the standard of Jesus and the words of this book, like his word that he's given to us, right? Listen, either, either this is true or it's not. It can't be one way or the other. And so we don't read our world, right, through or, or we don't read the word through, through the lens of the world. We read the world through the lens of this book. Does that make sense? Because the lens of the world is, is broken. And so we don't weaponize the Bible. We better make sure we're digging into it. We better make sure that we actually know the truth that it's saying. We better know uh, what it's talking about, the cultural issues, the context that's happening. Like we don't weaponize what's happening here. But let me be clear, like we are supposed to love People, but it's not loving at all to play along with fake truth. We can't sacrifice truth on the altar of love. Like we have to hold to what is true. And Jesus in this passage, he condemns this whole idea of truth being fluid when he says, I am the truth. I am the true way. There's no need for confusion on it. Like, like Thomas there in verse, verse five that's just saying, how, how can we know? 
There's no need for confusion because Jesus is saying that he is the only true way. And if you believe that, then you hold to it. Like either this is true or it's not, you know? And so he is saying that he is the only true way. No one comes to the Father except through me is what Jesus says. But I think some people think that it's arrogant of Christians to say that Jesus is the only way to heaven. That's what you'll hear. It's arrogant, it's small-minded of Christians to say that they have found the one way in to, to heaven. And I would just say, well, we didn't come up with that. Jesus did, you know? He's the one that said that right there in verse, verse six. But people don't like it because it, it, goes against, uh, it goes against everything about them. It goes against their preferences. It goes against their way of thinking. It's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's harsh sounding in certain people's minds, right? So they don't like this idea of one true way because either they, because they like their own way, maybe. Right? They, they like their own way. They, other, other religions are just re- refusing to believe in anything at all. So imagine a scene of a building that's on fire. These people who just kind of like things their own way would be like the people standing in a smoke-filled building, just insisting on creating their own way out. Right? I'll, I'll find my own way, even though there's exit signs that are clearly saying this is the way. Or maybe there's people who don't like this idea of one true way because they deny that they even need help. This would be the people in the smoke-filled building that are just going, I don't know, is there really even a fire? (laughs) Are we really even in danger? Or maybe there's people who don't like the idea of one true way because they think that there are several valid ways to God, right? This would be the idea that all religion points to the same truth or all religion leads to the same same path. So that would be the people in the smoke-filled building that agreed that there is a fire and somehow we're all just going to find our way out of it. The problem with all that is what Jesus says. The problem with all that is what Jesus says when he says there's one way and it's him. <laughs> there's, there's one way. There's only one way. You can't make it to, to heaven on your own. He's the only way in. No other religion, no amount of trying hard enough, none of that. Jesus alone is the way. And people today will argue, well, that's arrogant because that, that way is too narrow. I guess it's way too narrow of a, of a way, right? When in reality, it's, it's wide enough for anyone. That's what it says. It's wide enough for anyone who would believe. Uh, uh, chapter 14, verse one. He says, believe in God, believe also in me. I've told you every week, that's the purpose of this book, of John writing. He tells us very clearly his purpose, his, his, his intent on writing this book is, is John 20, 31. He says, I'm writing all these things to you so that you would believe. So that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that by believing you would have life in his name. That's what John 20 31 says. So the purpose of this book is for, for us as believers to grow in belief, to grow in faith, and it's also for unbelievers to get into faith, right? And so the way is, is, is wide. The way is, is open to, to anyone. Did you know what the earliest um, Jesus followers were referred to as? The earliest Jesus followers were referred to as followers of the way. In Acts chapter 9, there's a story um, of a guy named Saul. 
And Saul was a bad dude. Like he killed Christians. He was a big persecutor. Um, he was a, a Jew of Jews. And he, he was a persecutor of, of Christians. And in Acts chapter 9, um, Jesus just interrupts his path. And, and, and Acts 9, 1 and 2 say that Saul was on his way on his way to persecute men and women of the way, that's all capitalized, right? Showing us that there's a big difference between our way and the way of Christ. But something happens in that moment. Jesus comes and interrupts his path, interrupts his way. The light comes on, he's blinded by it. And then uh, he is sent to a Jesus follower named Ananias. And it's through the love of Ananias and the example that he showed that this guy named Saul becomes later on a guy named Paul. His name is changed. And Paul is, uh, you, know, you know his story, I'm sure, right? Uh, the, the writer of over a third of the New Testament forever changed the course of church history. God used him in incredible ways, but he was on his own way to persecute followers of the way. And I just wanna say, like, if anybody thinks that this way of Jesus is too narrow, if a Christian killer named Saul can get in, anybody can, right? Verse two in chapter 14 says that there are many rooms in the Father's house, many rooms, meaning this, that there's plenty of room for anyone, plenty of room. The good news of the gospel is that heaven is available to every person, John 7, 37 says, but John 14, 6 says that it's only accessible through Jesus. He's not one of the ways to God. He is the way. It's exclusive but the way is wide enough for anyone who would believe. So he, he says clearly that he is the true way. And then finally, as we close, he is the life-giving way. He's the life-giving way. If you believe, if you place your trust in him, John 20, 31, I'm writing these things so that you would believe and that by believing you would have life, right? that you would have life. He says in John 10, 10, Jesus says his purpose in coming was to give life so that you would have life and have it in abundance, have it, to the, have it to the full. And so the moment that you place your faith in Jesus, the moment you begin to believe, well, then you enter this life-giving, life-breathing way of Jesus. You don't just sit around and wait on eternity. You don't just sit around and wait for one day. It's here and it's now, right? Ephesians chapter two, verse 20 talks about um, this idea of building a house. Talks idea of building the Father's house, just like John chapter 14 does. And, and Paul, again, follower of the way now, he wrote in Ephesians chapter two, he says, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone, and in him the whole building is being put together. It grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. You, it says, that's talking about us, followers of Jesus, are being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. So do you see it? That we are being built together as God's house, the many rooms, right? The many rooms, the church, and it's here and it's right now. Christ is the cornerstone. He builds us. He breathes life into us, and we follow on his way. That's the idea. So as we close, I want you to remember Thomas's question in verse five. 
You remember what Thomas said? He says, how can we know the way? How can we know the way? And I think that's the same question that maybe you're asking. It's for sure the question that the world that we live in is asking. How can we know the way? And Jesus tells us, his followers, those who are being built together as God's dwelling place, he tells us, while I'm gone, follow my way. That's essentially what he's doing in this passage. I've got to leave. I'll come back for you. But while I'm gone, follow the way. It's the true way. It's the life-giving way. Follow this way. And what he says to do to follow his way comes just a few verses before chapter 14. Look at chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. He says, I've got to leave. I've got to leave for just a little bit. And then he says this whole thing in verse 34. I give you a new command. Love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This world that's asking, how do we know the way? They're gonna find it by looking at us. And Jesus says, they're gonna know that we're, we're followers of the way by looking at how we love each other, right? He says, love each other the way that I have loved you. How did he love his disciples? John 13, one says that he loved them to the very end. Earlier, where we saw him washing his disciples' feet. Here he is, the king of the world. He, he's bowing before them, washing their nasty feet. He says, love one another just as I have loved you right after one of his followers for three years. One of his closest friends leaves to sell him out so that he'll be murdered. Right after he says this, he tells one of his best friends, Peter, you're going to deny me too. And so the context of what he's saying here, he's saying, if you want to be built together, you've got to love each other the way that I love you, not just when it's happy and easy, not just whenever we want to. Like, it might require us to love each other. It might require us to do some foot washing. It might require some forgiveness. It might require thinking of yourself less. It might require sacrificing for each other. But that's the key to walking his way of life today. That's the key to the world that's asking, how in the world can we know the way? Well, the key is us loving each other, brothers and sisters in Christ, the same way that he loved his followers. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.